Church, would y'all agree that actions speak louder than words? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the saying, you know, all of us, all of us have heard that saying uh, throughout our lives, basically meaning, you know, don't, don't, don't talk to me about it. Show me. Don't, you know, show, show, do it. You know, prove it. Don't just tell me what you believe. Show me through your, through your actions. Uh, we went over the book of James this past Wednesday during our Bible study, and um, James is all about taking action. Uh, he is the, he's the same guy who wrote that faith, with work, faith without works is dead. You know, he really encourages Christians, followers of Christ, to actually live out their faith through their behavior, through their words, through their actions, and especially, according to James, through our care for the neediest among us. Uh, Jesus told us a parable, and I know we talked about it. We went over a parable last week. That was kind of fun. Uh, for me, anyway, I hope it was for y'all. But, uh, but we're going to talk about another one, another parable today. Jesus talked about a parable, or, or spoke a parable that speaks to this same idea: putting our words into action, putting our faith into action, putting our money where, my, where our mouth is, so to speak. And he forces us to ask some serious questions of ourselves: What is the evidence of our faith? What is the evidence of our faith? Are we putting into action what we claim we believe? Christ seriously challenges us to examine uh, the sincerity and the authenticity of our faith in this little, this little space, this little short piece of scripture uh, that we're going to go over this morning. It comes out of the Gospel of Matthew once again, Matthew 21. And I'm just going to read down through verse 30 to start with. <clears throat> Again, this is, this is, this is a, uh, a parable that Christ is speaking. I'll tell you a little bit about what's going on here, actually. Uh, prior to this, Jesus is a, he's, he's getting into it with the religious folks, but basically. Y'all, y'all know, most of y'all know the story. They're, Jesus and these Pharisees are constantly going back and forth with each, with each other. They don't like Christ because he challenges them in so many ways. Um, so previously, before he teaches through this parable, he teaches, another, he, he teaches through another parable. Um, where after they have challenged his authority. So after, and after that, he comes into this one. And uh, he's talking about faith. He's talking about faith and talking about action. So he tells this story. He says, what do you think about this? A man has two sons. He came to the first son. He said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. Got another vineyard story. No, I don't want to, the son replied. But later he changed his mind and he went. The father said the same thing to the other son, who replied, yeah, I'll go. But he didn't go. So it's kind of this simple scenario that Jesus sets up here about a dad and his two sons, right? The father asked them both to go work in the vineyard for him, and their, and their responses really kind of reveal a lot about human nature, but they also really uh, uh, a lot about, about the nature of faith. So the first son, as we see, initially refuses his father's request, right? And this kind of this would have been pretty insulting. You know, as a dad myself, you know, if, if, if Parker had, you know, denied me, to, if I asked him to do something, he didn't do it, I, 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 wouldn't, get, I wouldn't get mad, but I would, you know, I, I would be offended probably, um, and we'd have to talk about it. <laughs> but uh, y'all can imagine, you know, this is 2,000 years ago, Jewish culture, this was especially a big deal uh, for, for, for a son to turn down the request of his father. Anyway, he says, I will not, I will not go work in the vineyard, but as the scripture says, later on, he has a change of heart. We don't know why he changes his heart. We don't know what prompted him to do that. But he has a change of heart regardless, and he goes out there to work, right? So the second son, on the other hand, basically lies to his dad also. <laughs> and um, he agrees. He says, yeah, I'll do it, Dad. Uh, I'll, I'll obey you. But he fails to follow through 
with those actions. So after he sets up this scene, Jesus kind of poses this next question that we see in verse 31. Which one of these two sons did the will of his father? The answer is clear. I mean, it's clear to us in 2023. It was, it was clear to the, the, the listeners 2,000 years ago who, who, who Jesus posed this question to. It's obvious the first son, even though he was initially disobedient, ultimately did the will of the Father, right? And Jesus ends it with this. The first one. They said the first one. So Jesus said to them, I assure you that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering God's kingdom ahead of you. For John, this is John the Baptist he's talking about. For John came to you on the righteous road and you didn't believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes, did y'all ever see the episode of the Brady Bunch where Peter was losing his voice? <laughs> yeah, that's, what, that's what I feel like up here. <laughs> but for the glory of God, right? <laughs> but tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. Even after you saw this, you didn't change your hearts and lives, and you did not believe him. Studying Jesus' parables these last couple of weeks, and if y'all ever noticed, I don't, I don't preach a lot on parables. Um, <laughs> now you're just going to laugh at me through the whole service, aren't you? <laughs> it's it's going to be a long day, man, long day. Uh, but there's a reason that I don't preach a lot on parables. They're, they're hard to preach on, to be honest with you. Uh, because they're fun, but they're difficult to preach about. They're difficult to teach about because different people can interpret them in so many different ways. Last Sunday, I had no less than four people come up to me after the service who told me some different interpretation, some different word that they had received through that parable. So they're kind of neat like that, but they're also a little bit you know, difficult to, to preach on um, and, and talk about. But hey, if you guys get something else out of this message that I'm not seeing... More power to you. That's, that's God. That's certainly not me. Um, they're challenging, uh, regardless, because uh, there's so much in them that we could talk about. There's so much that we could get out of them. There's so many themes um, that, that, we could to, that we could discuss. Uh, but there's a couple on this one, in this one, that really, really just jump off the page to me. And the first goes back to that, that, that a statement that I made to you at the beginning of the sermon. Actions speak louder than words. This parable prompts us to consider whether our faith is reflected in our actions. Are we obedient to the commands of Christ, or do we merely pay lip service to our Christian beliefs? Do we say, like the first, like the second son, yeah, Jesus, I'll do that, and then, I'll go, then we go on and just do whatever we want, whatever, wherever our instincts lead us? Yeah, Jesus, I'll pray and I'll go the extra mile for my enemies. Yeah, Jesus, I'll exercise grace, mercy, forgiveness, patience in my relationships. Yeah, Jesus, I'll feed the hungry, I'll clothe the naked, I'll take care of the sick. Do we do that? Are we sincerely obedient to Jesus, even this hard stuff? Or do we make excuses and do we make justifications? A better question might be this. Is Jesus good enough to be our Savior, but not good enough to be our Lord? Y'all ponder and meditate on that one for a while. Is Jesus good enough to me to be my Savior, but not good enough to be my Lord? In other words, is He good enough to save my rear end from the afterlife, 
from a horrible afterlife. But is he not worthy, not just to be worshipped, but to be followed without justification and without excuse? Because when Jesus says he is Lord, that means that we are followers of his. That means, we remember this word, allegiance, that we talked about several weeks ago, and I can't repeat it to you. It means that we have allegiance to the ultimate authority who is Jesus Christ. That's what it means that Jesus is Lord. We follow him in everything. To his commands, allegiance to his way of life. Not to our way of life. Are our actions aligned with our profession of faith? Or are we just giving lip service to our beliefs? Like the second guy up here, the second son. The second thing that leaps off the page to me in this parable is, is that it's just the theme of repentance. The theme of repentance. Notice who Jesus is calling to repentance in this story, folks. Jesus said to them, I assure you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering God's kingdom ahead of you. For John the Baptist came to you on the righteous road and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. Yet even after you saw this, you didn't change your hearts. What have I told you guys repentance is in the past? Yes, changing your hearts. Changing your hearts. Who's he talking to in this parable? He's talking to the religious folks. We know he talks to the sinners, the prostitutes and the, and the tax collectors, everybody. But he's specifically addressing this one this time to the religious folks, the ones who think that they, the ones that think they have it all together. It's them who he is calling to repentance, those people who outwardly portrayed a godly existence, but who inwardly were way, 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 way off track. Tax collectors, the prostitutes, the lowest of the low, in Jesus' time, they heard John the Baptist preach to them. You go back and, and you can read the simple message that John the Baptist preached. They heard John the Baptist preach his message of repentance and the kingdom of God, and they believed him. The religious folks were stubborn, and they knew everything. How stubborn are we? Do we recognize, this is my question for you this morning, I'm about to wrap it up. Do we recognize our need for repentance? and the importance of turning to God's message of righteousness, just like the tax collectors and the prostitutes? Or are we stubborn still, like the religious folks that he was addressing at this time? We need to deepen our understanding, church, of sin and, and repentance. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I've gone over this before because this is just kind of standard uh, MO for me. <clears throat> but, but we need to dig deeper in this idea of what sin is. Sin is. You know, sin begins in our hearts, and, and, and most of the times it manifests itself through our words, through our actions, and that's the kind of stuff that we generally think about, right? What does sin look like? Well, we think about sexual sins. We think about the big ones, the murder and the lying and, and, and the, the uh, uh, abuse of substances, you know, all these things that are very, very obvious. We need to go deeper than that. We need to go deeper than that. What is sin? Sin is failure to follow God's greatest commandments. Loving God and loving neighbor. Break it down just as simple as that. Every time... Here, what we should concentrate more on is not so much the sins that we do commit, but the, the, the sins that we commit because 
we fail to do things that we should have done in the first place. It's pretty easy for me to pick out, you know, if I did something wrong or if I said something wrong, but when did I pass up an opportunity to love somebody? <clears throat> when did I pass on an opportunity to give a word of encouragement? When did I pass on an opportunity to give financial help or some kind of physical uh, help of, of whatever kind? When did I pass those opportunities up? When did I fail to pray with somebody who needed prayer? Now, if we start thinking about that, we're going to realize how deeply sin runs. We love to pick on people who just sin differently than we do, church. We love to pick on people who sin differently than we do. But one of the reasons we do that is because we don't realize the depths of our own sin. We got stuff in our lives that we would never reveal to other human beings. What about the thoughts that we have? Are those always loving thoughts? Are those always compassionate thoughts, caring thoughts, empathetic, sympathetic thoughts when it comes to relationships, when it comes to people, when it comes to strangers, when it comes to people that we don't like? Come on, y'all, let's be honest. This is the depth of sin. Not all this external stuff, that's obvious. You know, that's, that, that's painfully, painfully obvious, and we can pick those out, right? We can point to that guy or that girl or whoever and, and judge that sin and point that sin out. But we, we start looking inwardly at ourselves, we realize we're on equal ground with these people that we're trying to judge so harshly. Equal ground, because our sin runs deep, if we're honest. Our sin runs deep. And I love the idea of repentance. I love the idea of repentance. I used to hate that word. I used to, I used to hate that word with a passion. Uh, that was just the environment that I grew up in. And it was preached harshly, and it was preached in a, in a mean, ugly, um, frightening way. But I've come to love this word, repentance, which literally means to change our minds. To change our minds, to change our hearts, and to turn around and go the other way. It's not a preacher waving, wagging his, finger, his or her finger in your face telling you how awful you are. It's me realizing, hey, I'm outside of God's will here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not treating this person like I should be. I'm not thinking about this person or this situation that I should be thinking about it. I need to change that. God, I repent of that. I'm, I'm changing my mind. I'm outside your will. Help me out here. That's what repentance looks like. Go in deeper. Go in deeper into our minds and into our hearts, discovering the, how, the depths of our, the real depths of our sins. And then coming to God and say, you know what? I'm wrong. I'm just wrong. It's okay to admit you're wrong. I've, I, have, I have discovered in, in 47 years of life that during these situations, in these situations, on these occurrences, when I've been humble enough to admit that I'm wrong about something, there is a, a something that happens on the other side of that, on the, on the other side of, 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 of confession, on the other side of, of admitting my wrongness, there's spiritual growth every single time. Stinks. It's painful. It hurts. But on the other side of that is growth. Every, every, every single time.